you have your Bibles, you can <clears throat> turn to or scroll to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start with verse 19. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you all sit with me, or sit and I'll pray with me, rather? Lord Jesus, please add a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Holy Spirit, help us to have answered deep in our souls, far beyond my best effort to answer, the question of why is it that we're here? Why are we together, gathered together as a church at the church? Pray that you would answer that question and that our families and this city would never be the same as a result. I trust you. Amen. Well, good morning again, church. Happy Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, I'm Peter. If you're visiting, I serve as the lead pastor Today I'm going to finish our series, Why We Gather. Why do we gather? I grew up taking my mom for granted. Of course, I didn't really know this until I went away to college. And I realized how much I took for granted. I realized this super strongly that first Thanksgiving back home. Like, man, I've been taking some stuff for granted here. And then extra realized that uh, when I first started paying those bills, if you all know what I'm talking about. I took my mom for granted. Now, it was St. Augustine who said, no man has God for a father unless the church be his mother. You see, in the same way where I grew up taking my mom for granted, in so many ways over the last 20 years of my Christian life, I've also in so many ways taken the church for granted. Now here's my prayer for all of us in this gathering today. That not only would the Holy Spirit illuminate his scripture into our hearts as I'm preaching, but that we would understand not only why are we gathered, but we'd have new power to draw near to God and take none of this 
for granted. I want to preach through this passage that we just read together. And as I do, I have four words that are in our passage that I want to organize my thoughts around. Four powerful words. And the first is a two-letter word that we find in verse 22. Us. Us. Let us draw near. I've heard people say things before like, well, you know, I can, I can draw near to God on my own. Of course, growing up in Oregon, they, they always meant like out with the trees and, and somehow there was something extra special about drawing near to God around the trees. Now, don't make fun of folks like that because I get it, okay? <laughs> I hear things like this. I can draw near to God on my own. Or if you've heard this one, I can feed myself on my own. Of course, they're not just referring to physical sustenance, but, you know, spiritual sustenance. I can, I can feed myself on my own. And I want to respond to things like this, like, yeah, well, I can tie my shoes on my own too, but what's your point? You know, like, what does that have to do with church? I wish I could say that I always refrain from being sarcastic like this because there's something in me that believes, you know, like, there's, some, there's a redemptive element in sarcasm, right? You know, because God was sarcastic with Job. Uh, the only, you know, the only difference, of course, is that he's God, so he's got the God thing on me. And I realize that my sarcasm has, like, never been fruitful. But my opinion about this, about drawing near to God as a gathering of people, is still valid, even though my sarcasm, my sarcasm is not valid. There are reasons beyond our understanding for why we gather together. Amen? There are reasons that go far beyond what we perceive to get out of this personally when we gather together. Let us draw near. This is a plural directive. It's a group command. It's a family endeavor, this whole drawing together thing. It's a communal treasure. We open up a treasure of God's nearness together. Now, some men that I deeply respect have preached through these six verses that I'm preaching through, and the primary focus that the context they would preach into is that they say it's in, in reference to our Sunday gathering, that these verses are talking about when we come together in a church service on Sunday morning. Uh, I've, I've seen other men that I also deeply respect say, no, 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 no. This is in reference not to just our Sunday morning gathering, but our, our, our smaller groups of gatherings, what we would call growth groups. Now, I want to tell you that I actually agree with both of them. As long as you understand on a Sunday morning what this is and what this isn't. This is a place where people of God are drawn together for the reasons that it's detailing here. And to the degree that we understand that there is us involved, and not just me or the people up here involved in the ministry, to the degree that we draw near, then we can understand that this setting where we are us is what the Bible is really directing in these passages. When we understand that 
we as a gathering of people are drawing near to God in ways that are way beyond us. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than your life. It's bigger than the worries maybe through a Monday, through a Saturday, that, that the anxieties that maybe you've been swimming in. We gather together in a greater context. Context. Would you rather be a huge part of something small, I've heard asked, or would you rather be a small part of something huge? You see, it's not that you can't draw near to God on your own, but you can't draw near to God only on your own. Check this out. The first word of our passage, I'm going to go slowly through this passage as I unpack the value first of, the, of this word, us. Okay, so this word, therefore. This word, therefore. This really unpacks and goes back to earlier in chapter 10. How Jesus is not only the fulfillment of Psalm 40, when it's talking about you know, sacrifices and offerings, I have not desired, but a body you have prepared. Jesus, the one perfect sacrifice that fulfills not just Psalm 40, but the, the entirety of the Old Testament law, and especially the sacrificial system. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. How many of y'all know forgiveness is still essential? That you feel your need for forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus has been shed, past tense. He is the final sacrifice. And therefore, we can be together. That therefore, going back to how, what Jesus has done, provides context for us to truly be together. To be united as we draw into him, as we enter into his presence. He has made us one by his blood. We can be truly united together. And that's a huge precedent, what he has done. Then it says, therefore, brothers. Now, some of your versions may say something like brothers and sisters. Uh, This uses a, a word in the Greek is the word adelphos, which when it's written in the Greek, it, it is the, the masculine, uh, the word for, for brothers, but it can also be brothers and sisters, and here's why. The word adelphos has two roots in its word. There's alpha, which many of us have heard that word before. It means beginning in the Greek. And then there's delphos, which, which means womb. We are together, truly, and not just trying to be together, because we have a similar beginning. We have a blood that has been united us, that has united us together. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the first fruits of a whole different type of creation. And that creation is who we are through faith. And therefore, brothers, we can actually be united we're blood brothers. We're, blot, we're bought with the same blood. We are united together by the sacrifice that he has made for us. We are not just you and me. There's only us now. If we have faith in him, we are brothers and we're sisters. Lord, I thank you for healing whatever wounds that is associated with, we thank you in Jesus' name. We have precedent to draw near to God because of what Jesus has done to make us united together as brothers and sisters. Therefore, brothers, since. 
Now, there's, there's two words, two, two times where this word since is mentioned. Whether you're, you're a grammar geek or not, it's important sometimes to slow down and see the arguments that are being built and how much richness provides an undergirding for what Paul is saying. Because he doesn't just say, hey, let's draw near together. He says, therefore, brothers, since, is what he first says. Now, these, the, the two times he mentions since, I want to I draw that out as a precedent for why we cannot just pretend to truly be together, but we can actually be more united together than anyone else could ever endeavor to try to be. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, verse 19 goes on to say, confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. See, no human being in our sinful state when we've rejected God and we can only do what's wrong, it's in our nature It's in our selfish DNA. It's in every one of our decisions. And then also our habits that aren't even conscientious decisions. We are sinful. We're, by nature, the Bible says, objects of wrath. Our nature and God's nature don't coexist. We can't draw near to God in our sinful state. It's only because of what Jesus has done to make a way. And the way he fulfills this, what he calls here, the holy places, has a whole lot of richness that I want to summarize. You see, God drew a people out for himself through Abraham. And he, he made a special group of those people, like a twelfth of those bunches of people, to be Levitical priests. And he had certain purification laws. If you read through the book of Leviticus, it's pretty exhaustive. Certain laws that these particular priests could purify themselves so as to enter closely to God on behalf of the rest of God's people. And once a year, they would go to the holiest of holy places through a super thick curtain and offer a sacrifice and approach God for forgiveness and atonement on behalf of everyone else. God is holy. He's not intermingled with our sinfulness. What it says here is that Jesus, when he suffered on the cross for our sin, literally from top to bottom, that super thick curtain tore open. And so now, from that moment on, the holy place is no longer a place. It's a people. It says he's opened a new and living way through his flesh, through his body, We are the body. The holy place is now a holy people that God is setting aside and sanctifying and making holy. And the joy of his holiness is way better, infinitely better than the joy of sin. He is creating a holy people for himself that we're stirring each other up to love and good deeds. Since we have confidence to enter the, the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, his flesh. This produces a confidence in a holy people. We are the new and living way. And then verses 19 and 20 also speak of the body and the blood, where 
if you're like me and you forget this stuff, maybe you get weighed down by your guilt and you, and you call it humility, but it's not humility. It's guilt that weighs you down. It doesn't help you draw near to God. It actually pushes you away from God. You have a reminder every day that his body and his blood can speak a better word for you. And if you forget it, every week we can remember that by the body and the blood of Jesus that we apply our faith to as we enter into his presence. His body and his blood is really the only thing that makes us us. We can be truly united together since he has done that for us. And the second since is super important in verse 21 because not only has Jesus died so that we can have life, but he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our living defender. Verse 21, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Some of us in here are painfully aware of the voice of the accuser in our lives. And and for some of us, some of our deepest sin patterns right now that's weighing you down and that, that keeps you from living in victory with Jesus, here's, here's your biggest sin pattern that's crippling you right now. It's allowing the voice of the accuser to tell you who you are. Oh, you're always this way. You've always been this way. Your dad was like this. Now you're like this. Listen, if you think that allowing that voice to take up headspace in your soul is humble or godly, let me just tell you right now, it is not. God has designed a way that Jesus could go before us, sacrifice his life for us, raise again from the dead, and sit at the right hand of God to be our advocate, our defender, and to speak a better word over you to define who you are. You're not your past. He's saying, this is who you are. No matter what you think you are, I've decided you're mine. And he wants his voice to have a better, stronger, more resonant word over your identity, your formation, and your future. And he wants you to let his word break through to the depths of your soul. And you know, he's even given gifts to the body to help remind you of who you are. That's why we draw near together because we can see who he is and his priesthood really going deep to minister to us when we draw near together. Let us draw near. Do you remember the first let us of the Bible? Try to guess in your own head right now. Genesis chapter one. Let us make man in our own image. Let us. God says let us. God is in perfect unity with himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He made not just a man in his own image, but he made mankind in his own image. Mankind, we have fallen from him. And what did he do? In unity with himself, he redeems mankind. And he's restoring mankind. And he's using us to be restored to his image, to restore creation to himself, to his glory. 
And if we're participating with him in his redemptive work, there is an inextricable us involved with what we do together. Let us draw near. When we participate in bearing forth the image of God and we participate in his redemption plan, it is only a group work. Let us draw near. Now in our passage, there's actually three times where it says let us. And each time there is a very rich word that's associated with that. And that brings us to our next word that I want to organize my thoughts around. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Next word is assurance. Assurance. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance and faith. That phrase right there, I've, I've heard one theologian that I deeply respect say that that is the theme of the entire book of Hebrews. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance and faith. In fact, this let us draw near directive actually echoes a, a very similar directive from early in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, I'll just read it for you, you don't have to turn there. Verses 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Are you weak at all today? We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. In every way he was tempted as we are and yet without sin. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive Mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Can everyone say receive? Receive. Pastor that I really respect, our Every Nation pastor in Washington, D.C., his name's Donnell Jones. And he was teaching these verses and he said this. He says, we can only approach the throne of grace as takers. Because when it comes to his grace, we're always receiving never achieving. Always receiving, never achieving. I can't tell you how many years I tried to achieve God's favor and grace. I tried to perform for him. And the more perverted I was, the more guilty I felt, and the more I tried to perform for him, and guess what? It was a death cycle until I really came to know Jesus. And by his blood... I could have assurance to receive grace. We can have 100% assurance for something that we 0% accomplish or achieve. You can rest in his grace with a true heart and full assurance of faith. In our established 101 class, which is going to be in a few weeks, in fact, two weeks from today, Every time we teach our Established 101 class, we're adamant about the doctrine of assurance. And here's why. If the devil can get you to constantly be doubting about your own salvation, you're not going to be very useful in the salvation of other people. But God has ordained for you to have full assurance of faith in him. I deserve it 0%. And I have it 100% because 
because of how good Jesus is. The same Holy Spirit that indwells you like a well of living water, if you're a believer, has also ordained to flow out from you like springs of living water, to participate in the redemption plan in drawing others to himself. And when we can nail down that we're assured in our faith in Jesus, now our space is occupied with how do we overflow with what God has most assuredly given me. Assurance is actually meant to lead to a certain type of fruitfulness in proclaiming what he has done to others. That's why our our next let us here, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now, the confession of our hope, this could, I suppose, mean a lot of different things. I think when we confess our sin to one another, there's, there's a confession of hope associated with the fact that this sin that I'm releasing and confessing no longer defines me because of the hope associated that when, when I confess my sin to the one who, who is faithful to me, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So there's, there's hope associated with confession of sin, but I think this most likely is referring to the confession of ancient creeds, like the Apostles' Creed. We, next week we're going to start a series on the historical creeds, the affirmations of our faith that hold us together, that before there was Gutenberg and the printer The church was doing just fine to take over the world with the love of Christ and united with a common creed. Hold fast to the confession of your faith is the second let us. This word confession is super important. You see, whether it's in a creed or confessing your sin, the principle applies that if if, if there's faith in me, it's going to need to come out of me. If there's faith in my heart, it'll come out on my lips. In other words, a confident assurance retained must become a bold confession proclaimed. A confident assurance retained must become a bold confession proclaimed. If there's inner assurance in your heart, it will be shown and manifest through an outward boldness from your lips. John Calvin said, God requires also profession or confession, for it is not true faith except it shows itself before men. I love what 1 Peter says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Christ Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. You see, if there is a hope that is in you, there will be reasons that are professed from you. Always be prepared to give a defense, a reason. See, there's, that, there's the reverence in my heart. There's the assurance, right? And then there's confession from my lips. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus has done very well 
to give us an abundance. Amen? And we speak it. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. We confess, uh, some of you all, we've been doing this for maybe a month and we'll probably do it a lot longer, where we confess words, whether, you know, our, our confessions, they're kind of perfunctory words. But if you apply your faith to the confession on the screen, there's hope associated because of the person we're really approaching, the person who's very, really with us. Every family has a different tradition of how we confess the truth of God and confess sin to one another. Our family at dinner, we confess our gratitude to God before every meal. We even wrote our own song, Gracias Señor. And my kids are beautiful in singing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited about more and more faith applied to that song. Everyone has a different tradition, though, for how we confess because you're not an audience, you're a congregation. And congregations confess things, right? Uh, some of y'all have just started to realize, um, this is one of those talkback churches. <laughs> People are saying amen and stuff. Amen? amen? So we say, you know, we're standing and we're, we're getting better with it. I, I want to confess real gratitude that we can openly read the word of God. We're not maybe in a, in a nation that's persecuted, but also we're, 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 we're able to have this miraculously preserved for us. The, way, the history of how God wrote this out through different people diversely and sustained it and canonized it and, and made it into to a, an amazing living and powerful book warrants our honor. And so we'll say things like, uh, I'll say the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. That's a confession of gratitude. Now, you might say, well, I didn't grow up doing that. That's a little weird. Maybe it is. Hopefully, we're redemptively mysterious to everyone at the same time. But all of us have a different kind of confession tradition. Like, stick with me if you roll this way. If this is your background, all right? This is a confession tradition. You ready? God is good. And all the time? Woo! (laughs) See, various confession traditions traditions abound but the point is if it's in my heart it'll be on my tongue it says without wavering hold fast to your confession without wavering ask yourself where are you most prone to wavering in your assurance and therefore your fruitful confession before other people Ask God to help you. In fact, today there's an opportunity to confess that wavering and to be inundated with a a new power from God that's better than your wavering. Confess that to God. Last last word I see in verse 24. I'm going to read verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and good deeds. Last word I have is the word encouragement. It says, let us consider. It doesn't just say, let us stir up one another. But it says, let us consider how to stir one another up. That, what that tells me is that the, the, the whole stirring one another up thing should be occupying your headspace a lot more than when you're doing it. Let us consider how to stir one another up. Do we do that? You know, do, do, we, do we come to church and say, man, 
how am I going to preach today? Well, I do because, you know, I'm preaching, but we all should, right? And we've said before that we go to the throne of grace receiving, not achieving. But we, we serve a God who gives you way more than you need. And it's so that you can give it away to others. And so we come to church to receive from God, but to also encourage one another. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I go to the YMCA. That's my gym. And uh, our YMCA has a lot of cool different amenities. But uh, we also, they also have coffee and Wi-Fi and just other things that you wouldn't associate with a gym. Now, let's just say hypothetically, I'll pick on my wife since she's here. Let's say my wife, you know, we're holding each other accountable to go to the YMCA together. And let's say a few weeks from now she says, you know, I just I don't want to go to the YMCA anymore because the Wi-Fi signal's weak and I don't like the coffee that much. I would say, wife, we don't go to the YMCA just for the Wi-Fi signal and the coffee. We go to the YMCA to get stronger. I mean, the, y- the Wi-Fi signal's good too, but we go there to build ourselves up and to get stronger, to have strength for something that's beyond the YMCA. I also go to the YMCA to, to find men, to find men I can encourage, find men that I can pray for. I'll find them. To the pure, all things are pure. Could have worded that better, but I do, I do go to find men. And I pray for them. They're on my list. If you're here in church because I met you at the YMCA, you've been schemed by God. I go to the church. I go to the YMCA. It's a discipleship context. It's like the church. And I I say, God, if there's a man here that I need to encourage, make make sure I know. I put him on my prayer list. I pray for him. I invite him into relationship. I connect him to the church. Am I very good at it? Not as good as I'll be tomorrow. But I don't just go to the YMCA, sweetie, just for the Wi-Fi. There's bigger reasons. And look, we don't just come to church just to get something to kind of get us through the day. We are a people that draws near to God until the day, the sure and final day, when Jesus comes back. It will come. There's bigger reasons, and we have an inheritance that's, that we're, we're not just, again, an audience. We're a congregation. Audiences are what they have at the movies where they sell popcorn. If you notice, we don't sell popcorn. We're a congregation of people that come to draw near to God together to consider how we could stir one another up to love and good deeds. What kind of love and good deeds? Carrying forth our historical faith that will take over the world with the love of Christ. The question is, how will we be a part of that? Our traditions and our gatherings should reflect that reality. Let me tell you a story of how I saw this uh, played out in a way that I wasn't accustomed to or comfortable with. Uh, It was my first time I went to a Kojic church. If you don't know what Kojic is, Church of God in Christ. Now, a little background. I grew up in central Oregon, which some demographers have, uh, have demonstrated is may, very well may be the heart of Caucasia. 
Like, my experience with Kojic was zero. Uh, I, I didn't know, I didn't have any black friends. You know that ignorant guy who's like, man, I can't be racist to have a black friend. I was more ignorant than that guy. And if some of y'all have said that before, just kind of, just kind of like, come talk to me after, just low key, all right? I was more ignorant than that guy. I get to college, my friend James invites me to his church. It's in Compton. I'd heard of Compton before, but when we're driving with him, me and another guy, we're driving on Crenshaw Boulevard, and I remember him telling me, hey, uh, just kind of just low-key, just kind of like lean down in your seat a little bit. I'm like, all right, okay. I go to church, right? And so I'm standing there, and I didn't, no one told me not to stand next to the speaker, but like an hour later, I could not hear anything out of my left ear. It all gets to this point. Here's the point I'm making. Halfway through the service, there's about 100 people, 200 people in this, in this gathering. And they said, Brother James has brought some guests today. Can you all stand up? Oh, no. I stood up. You guys know what I'm talking about. I stood out. I was like, man, I was that. I stood out already, but I stood up too. And looking back on that, I remember being like a little uncomfortable, like, well, this is, this is kind of like bad customer service, is what was going through my head, right? But what does it say about them that they're, they're convinced that they're the church of the living God? They're not a business providing customer service. Their tradition reflects something healthy about the church that I actually now appreciate, that they're saying, our brother has brought, brought some guests, and we're going to acknowledge them because they're people. And look, if you're nervous that this is going to be a new tradition for us, <laughs> it's unlikely going to be a new tradition for us, but I want to start thinking better and continue thinking better about our gathering. We are a church. We're a congregation. We stir one another up to love and good deeds. Our habits in our church service should reflect that. I'll read this last verse. Stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day drawing near. What day? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all peoples, and then the end will come. We know that Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So let us stir one another up, not neglecting to meet as is the habit. We talked about the power, good or bad, of habit last week. And this says that there is a habit of some to neglect the gathering. That word neglect is a strong word, right? Neglect presumes responsibility. See, you can only neglect something that you're already responsible for. What the writer of Hebrews says is that you're responsible to gather together and encourage other people to whom you belong. Neglect is what some were in the habit of doing. What happens to a parent who neglects their child? Prosecution. They get locked up. When we neglect our part that Jesus has paid for on the cross, that's a problem. When we come to the table of God, when we come to the throne of grace, 
we come with our own failures and struggles and shortcomings. And we come with good habits and bad habits. And God is creating a people that will go from glory to glory. And how has he ordained that we grow together, that we come together, we, we confess our sin to one another, that we encourage one another, and then we scatter and draw others to himself. And we come back together with our broken pieces and do it all over again. And it's a glorious adventure. Would you stand to your feet with me?